being here for half an hour singing that song. It's a good song. Great to hear your voices together. Good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. This fine morning. It's like, can we open up the windows? It's so nice outside. A few things have been happening. I, I feel like um, before we get into anything, let's pause and pray. Um, there's some recovery efforts going on in our community, surrounding our community for the storm that hits. So let's pause and pray. Let's go to God together. Amen. Amen. Father, we come before you this morning. We're grateful that we are your people. And Father, we want to lift up those that have been hit by the tornado, by the storms, that are still dealing with the effects. They're going to be dealing with the effects for years to come. Their lives are forever changed. People's hearts to respond. And however you call us to respond, God, help us to be responsive to be attentive to your call to the people around us, Father. Thank you for the way you work through humans. No matter where they're at, no matter how messed up their lives are, God, there's people that stand up and go and help, God. We thank you for those people and the way you position us in life, Father. We pray for the lives that have been impacted. God, please draw near to those people. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Today is also Bereaved Mother's Day, and we want to honor the mothers in our community um, that are impacted by this day and what this means. And so let's, uh, let's be attentive to that as well together as a community. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, there's also a couple cool things happening. Um, I know. It's someone's birthday today, Miss Wendy. So we want to honor you. Happy birthday to you. And I'm not going to sing. You're welcome. To everybody, you're welcome online. That would be horrifying. Um, and the V-Hills are here. It's good. It's always good to have you guys in town. Thank you for being here. We love you guys. It's good, good to see your faces. It's good to be around you guys. All right. It is a new month, May 1st. Sorry, Ramona. Hopefully I don't want to trip over you here. And we're starting a, another series this month. All right. Again, we're continuing with, with our brothers and sisters across the country, across the world, who are going through these series together. And this series is called Fruit That Lasts. Yeah. Okay. Fruit That Lasts. Tony Singh, I believe, out of the, the Toronto Church, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he is the evangelist who uh, has, has leading us through this series. And so what I do, as I've been telling you guys, I, I take the notes. I'm on calls with them. And... Uh, and uh, we put a little Wichita Church of Christ thumbprint on these messages. We make it our own. And, and, we, uh, and if you've been around for any period of time, we, know, uh, we have some real talk yeah. once in a while. Yeah. But that's what God's people do. Right? We have real talk, and, and we want to have uh, fruit that lasts. Amen? Amen? Amen. There's something about humans. There's something about humans. We desire to have influence. Yeah. We desire to have an impact mm -hmm. on the world around us. And it's universal. Nobody, and, and whether a good impact or a bad impact, people want to have impact right. and influence, right? Yeah. We call it fruit. We want to have fruit in our lives, uh, a result of hard work that we've put into achieving something. God's people, naturally, we want to bear fruit for God. Yeah. Right? right? Amen to that. We do. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's how we're made to be. 
The trouble is, we often operate with a limited fruit means. We tend to focus on results. What, or we call it fruit, right? That, that are temporary things. Jesus shows us how to bear fruit that lasts. If you want to turn in your on 15, we will be getting there. But I want to paint a picture for you guys. Did you know I taught history? I know. I bring it up too much. I can't help it. That's part of who I am. So here we go. <clears throat> Since the late 19th century, that's actually what I got written down. Since the late 19th century, farmers in the Midwest maintained really rigorous uh, farming practices in order to grow as much crop as possible. Crops? Crop? So like fish? Crop. As possible. They did. And this is happening in the late 1800s, right? Yeah. New technology, the Industrial Revolution, the second one, John Deere, all that stuff, cool. Yeah. Put on a trucker hat. All that stuff allowed farmers to grow massive amounts of food. Irrigation, being able to bring in water, allowed people to farm in places like here in Kansas, which was not intended to be farmed in. Right? right. right? It gets real dry here. Rain is not consistent, but it made it possible. Results were astounding. And we beca it became the breadbasket. Not just the United States, but it had a global impact. Farming in the Midwest had a global impact. Practices were not sustainable. Over-farming exhausted the soil, turning a rich, dark soil into a dusty, very light brown powder, like dust, taking, stripping all the nutrients out of the soil from being over-farmed repeatedly. Fields were exploited until utterly useless, and then they were abandoned. By the 1930s, drought and high winds led to what we know as the Dust Bowl, right? The Dust Bowl? Okay, all right. Yeah. 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 Bad times, imagine waking up every morning to three inches of dust on everything in your house. Yep. Yeah. I freak out when like, my black entertainment center has like a little line of dust and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I can't, I can't function. Like, it's just like, can you imagine waking up every morning to like inches of dust on just everything? People dying, kids dying because they got dust in their lungs. The results were devastating, but not just to the farmers, but to entire communities, entire cities, and it had impact on the world economy. God has always intended for his people to bear fruit. But fruit doesn't come from focusing on some end goals or results. It comes from placing identity securely in the Messiah. Fruit is the godly character is a byproduct on the journey of transformation. Amen? comes when you focus not on the product, but on the process. Mm -hmm. So the whole goal of this series we're going to be going through this month is to redefine what it means to bear fruit for God. Okay. We're using John 15 as our guide, okay? Amen. Let's go there. Okay. Let me give a little context. I'm a context guy. We're context people in here together. We know better than the proof text to just pull out verses because we really like the way they sound. Right. Right. 
you know, it's a good meme, right? It's a good meme. <clears throat> but the Gospel of John, what's happening in the Gospel of John before we even get to chapter 15? The Gospel of John is making a point. The point is that Jesus embodied God's very word and God's glory in order to reveal who God really is. Jesus performed miracles and made claims that he is the reality to which Israel's entire history had been pointing to. As you can imagine, that caused some issues with the Jews. And so there's a little tension there, a little awkward. And um, some of these groups start to confront Jesus. We know that narrative, right? This culminates <clears throat> when Jesus seals his own fate by choosing to go close to Jerusalem in order to help his friend Lazarus. <clears throat> and later on when Jesus says, greater love has none than this, that one who lays down his life for his friend, is, is exactly what he did. I'm going to go help Lazarus, but in the process I'm drawing nearer to Jerusalem to the people that hate me. That one again. <clears throat> With the plot to murder Jesus in motion, Jesus begins to deliver some final teachings to his followers. He washes his disciples' feet, shows what it means to become a servant and to love each other, and as his own disciples show the confusion and despair, Jesus comforts them and gives them hope. That's the context. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> it's time for a Ricola. Not yet, no. It's not a sponsorship. <laughs> Maybe it could be. I don't know who's listening online. All right, forgive me. We good? Okay. One of the biggest questions, surely on the hearts of the disciples in this time, is can I do this? Can I do this? Young men laying it all out to follow their rabbi starting to face some persecution. Can I do this? Perhaps this is a question we have too. Yeah. Can I do this? Yeah. Yep. Maybe that very question, that doubt that we have, pushes us to pursue temporary results that bring us a little comfort. Have you ever been rejected? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're like, easy question. <laughs> Yeah. I won't talk about the dating ones from high school. <laughs> How does that feel to be rejected? It hurts. Why does it hurt? You're vulnerable? Can you say that again, Dan? Self-worth. Self I don't feel worthy. I must not be good enough. Yep. Is, anybody, is that a tape that plays in anybody's head? Yeah. I'm not good enough? Rejection always hurts. There's no way getting around it. <clears throat> when it comes to God, we don't ever, 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 ever have to worry about feeling rejection from him. Yeah. He will never drive us away. Only we can do that. Yeah. Flip side of rejection is being chosen. You've been chosen. You've been on a football team. You got chosen. Feels good to be chosen, right? 
feel worthy. You feel like you have value. You feel seen, right? Those very fundamental things to human beings that we all crave and need. And this is where we enter John 15. I'm going to be reading from the NET translation, just so you know. Here we go. Verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He takes away every branch that does not bear fruit in me. He prunes every branch that bears fruit so that it will bear more fruits. You are clean already because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much Because apart from me, you can accomplish nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, He's thrown out like a branch and dries up, and such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire and are burned up. If you remain in me and my words in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father's honored by this, that you bear much fruit and show that you are my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. My commandment is this, to love one another just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not understand what his master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have revealed to you everything I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that remains, fruit that lasts, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. This command I give you, to love one another. Consider for a moment how much Jesus is emphasizing the fact that he chose us. That he chose us to bear fruit and fruit that will last. Especially in light of what's going to happen in a few days in that passage, that encouragement's really going to uplift those disciples. And the same goes for us. I don't think we always realize the significance of being chosen, being called, until much later sometimes. Get this, get this, get this. Someone who conquered death chose you. I think we're going to be all right. <laughs> I think we're going to be all right. Maybe you need to look in the mirror later and say, I think I'm going to be all right. Yeah. The one who conquered death chose me. He chose us. Yeah. What does that mean to conquer death? 
there is that factor of, of, yes, final death and everlasting life. But there's also the factor of living in this, this world, the state of decay and destruction that we experience. It's no longer the only option for us. There's hope. We can bear fruit that will last because Jesus promises it. Because he chose us. Let me say that one more time. The reason why we're able to bear fruit that lasts is because Jesus chose us. Why does he choose us? Ready for this answer? You know it. Because we're already loved. There's nothing we can do to earn that choosing. There's nothing we can do to earn that favor. We are dearly loved. Um, you can turn with me to these passages, but just to be honest with you, I'm going to read them pretty quick, so you can just listen. Genesis 1.27. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are made. When I say we, I mean humans. We're made in the image of God. Let's not forget what that word image means. It means like a little like a little figurine, a little wood carving. We are made to be like God. We're made to be many gods running around this planet in tune with the creator in partnership with him. That's who we are by design. We're physical. We are divine. There's no one better suited between the animals and between the angels to better partner with God. That's what he created us for. Therefore, that should bring us identity, security, and peace, and that should eliminate this need to try to prove ourselves, to try to be someone or something, to try to build our resumes up, because there's nothing we can do. You already are. Think about this for a second. Revealed himself by many names, but predominantly his name is I am. The great I am. And as abstract as that sounds, it means everything. Who is God? Here's my name. I am. I am the one who exists. I am the one who stays. I'm the one who never goes away. I'm the one who's always here. I am. I'm consistent. I'm secure. I'm safe. I'm strong. I am. If we're made in the image of the great I am, then I think our true nature is found in this simple fact. We are. We talk, we talk for a month about identity. And really, we've been talking for years about identity. What if our present struggles that we experience with identity are this simple? We are his. We are because he is. Now, getting back to that, if you've experienced trauma, if you've experienced deep hurt, it's a journey. It's a hard journey. It takes time. It's painful. Not pretty. You know what happens to a, a caterpillar inside the cocoon? Like liquefies, and it gets all—it's yeah, it's kind of that's kind of like that, right? And the, right, 
That's the metamorphosis. And we're like, beautiful, like metamorphosis. There's a reason you can't see inside the cocoon. <laughs> but it's kind of like us, too, like that process, you know. We are because he is. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting in verse 6 here, it says, For you are people holy to the Lord your God. You're special. He's talking to his people. He has chosen you to be his people, prized above all others on the face of the earth. It is not because you were more numerous than all the other peoples that the Lord favored you and chose you. For in fact, you were the least numerous of all peoples. Rather, it's because of his love for you and his faithfulness to the promise he solemnly vowed to your ancestors that the Lord brought you out with great power, redeem you from the slavery to the power from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. These words are still for us today. In Christ, we are God's people. We are Israel. These words are still for us today. Why has God chose us? Is it because we're? It's because we've done something special. Because we've proven it. He loves us already. Law and the prophets are peppered with reminders of how God chose his people from among the nations purely by his divine mercy. And he kind of does it also when his people are going through really rough periods of time. It's just cool to see. We've got to read the Bible more. This very message is carried on to the church in 1 Peter chapter 2. I think we read that for communion a couple weeks ago. We are chosen not because we've done anything to deserve it. One more passage. One more? One more? Yeah? Mm, okay. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 4. I'm going to read for a little bit, okay? But listen. Listen to the words. If you've got to close your eyes, whatever you've got to do to soak it in. For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He did this by predestining us to adoption as his legal heirs through Jesus Christ, according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace that he has freely bestowed on us in his dearly loved Son. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our offenses, according to the riches of his grace, that he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He did this when he revealed to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, toward the administration of the fullness of the times to head all things, to head up all things in Christ, the things in heaven and the things on earth. In Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession. We were predestined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, would be to the praise of his glory. And when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, 
You were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of our inheritance, until the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. It's hard to read that just one time. You have to go back. You have to listen to those words. Listen to the who he is and listen to the who we are. Because it's easy to tune out. It's easy to get lost in the little debates too. We're like, oh, predestined. Predest- you're missing the point. He chose us. The accuser wants to do everything possible for us to miss that point. For us to forget our identity and start putting it into this game of who's been predestined or what to do, you're, 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 you're way off. Yeah. He chose us. We know elsewhere in Scripture that it's made abundantly clear that God's desire is for all of humankind to live as his people, to partner with him. God Almighty chose us because he loves us. This is the one point. You forget everything else this morning. You hit your head way out. I don't know what happens. Remember this. We are loved. We are chosen. One more thing for us to chew on. I'll take that now. I'm, I don't need a snack. I just It's a prop. In John 15 chapter or in John chapter 15 verse 1 we had already read there's a really centralizing point that can be very easily missed as well. Jesus says I am the vine and then he says my father he's the gardener. He's the farmer. He's that guy. Elsewhere in Matthew chapter 9 for the prayer for the harvest he reminds us that pray to the lord of the harvest to send out workers into the field. If you take a seed from fruit and you plant it in soil, you plant it in good soil. Are you listening? Good soil. If you plant it in good soil in the gardener's field, the gardener's field, do you have to worry about what kind of fruit it's going to bear? This is a pear. Take this pear seed, go plant it. What kind of fruit is it going to bear? Why is it going to do that? Because it's a pear. Because it's pear seeds. The seed does not need to create a five-year plan. The seed does not need to worry because it sees the other seeds around it sprouting. It does. The seed doesn't need to worry when no rain comes because he knows the gardener's there. The seed doesn't need to be afraid when some pests get into the garden because the gardener's there. By simply just being what it was made to be, a pear seed. In care of the gardener, it'll grow roots, it'll sprout, It'll flourish, and in season, it will bear fruit. So it is with us. Maybe this is why there's this fruit of the vine imagery that's been a core component of ceremony forever. 
and that we partake in as well in communion. A little red juice there. Maybe it's supposed to remind us of something. Maybe it's not because it's tasty and we like it a lot. Although maybe that does remind us of God's goodness. Maybe the fruit of the vine, it serves as a reminder of who the gardener is. What it means to be a branch on the vine. What it means to bear fruit. So as we take communion together, as God's people this morning, let's remember precisely who the gardener is and whose vine we abide in. Amen? Amen. If we truly place our identity in Christ, we will bear fruit that lasts. Let's go to God, let's pray, and let's take communion together. Father, we are interrupted by you this morning. We hear your words. We, we, we see your image. We feel what you feel, God, when you look at us. God, we are yours. We're chosen. And what do you ask for us to do? Do you, do you ask for us to, to scheme? Do you ask for us to get frustrated over the details? Do you, get, do you ask for us to, to look really nice? No, you just ask us to be. You ask us to trust. You sent Jesus to show us how to do that. Father, help us to not underestimate what Jesus did and what Jesus is doing through his teachings. Help us to be like him, to lay down our lives for our friends, to, to focus on the process of, of being in your image and to know and to trust and be confident that as we do that, we're just going to bear fruit. There's nothing we can do about it, God. Help us, Father, to bear fruit for you that lasts. We ask for your help. Help us to follow Jesus step by step, word by word. It's in his name we pray. Amen.